The Bible tells us that just before Jesus was born, someone named John was born. And in today's scripture from the Gospel according to Luke, we hear a song sung by the father of John on the occasion of John's birth. And the song rejoices over both how John and Jesus will serve as instruments of God's spirit. Listen for God's message to us this day. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, and he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, an oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. May God bless this reading to our understanding. We walked in silence. Three friends who had so much catching up to do, so many dreams to share, so much girlfriend talk. But we walked in silence. We were walking the Camino in Spain, an ancient Christian pilgrimage walk, and we decided to begin every day of this week-long walk with one hour of silence. As we walked, I noticed the stunning landscape, the wildflowers popping up along the path, the ancient stone walls lining the beautiful farmland. We let our minds drift into silent prayer to listen to our own lives, to our own hearts, to listen for the presence of God both within and all around us. And during this hour, we each thought of things we wanted to talk about once the hour of silence was up. But what if you were unable to talk for nine months? Imagine where your mind would wonder. Imagine the things that you would begin to notice about life and what would be the first word you would utter when you could finally speak again. The Gospel of Luke tells us that there was this man named Zechariah who was doing his priestly duty, doing his service in the temple of God when he was struck mute. An angel of the Lord told him that after years of infertility, that he and his aged wife Elizabeth would now give birth to a child. They were going to have a baby. And Zechariah was so stunned that he questioned how this could really be possible. And he was struck mute for nine months. But nine months later, Zechariah shows up in the temple for the regular ceremony for blessing a newborn. He's carrying his eight days old son. 
and they're going to bless the child and to name him. But when they ask Zechariah to, to speak the boy's name, he's still mute. And so he motions for a tablet to be brought. And he writes on the tablet, and this seems silly, everybody knows that the son will be named after the father. He will be named Zechariah. But Zechariah writes four letters, John, because that is what the angel told him his son would be named. And suddenly, Zechariah finds his vocal cords again, and he can speak. And what do you imagine Zechariah will say? What would be your first words uttered after nine months of prayer and solitude and pondering and wondering and watching? Zechariah sings a song. The musical genius Stephen Sondheim passed away this week. Sondheim once said that one of the first things you have to decide on when constructing a musical is why there should be songs. He said, oh, you can put songs to any story, but are songs necessary to the story? The Gospel of Luke tells us something that can only be said with a song. And so Zechariah opens his mouth after nine months and he sings, and he sings a hymn that he has sung in the temple so many times before, and he sings about where he has seen God at work in his life over these last nine months, but also where he has seen God at work in the world for generations. He sings, God has looked favorably upon us, redeemed us, raised up a savior for us. God has spoken to us, sworn loyalty to us. God has saved us, redeemed us, remembered us, shown mercy to us. And then Zechariah adds a verse to the song, and he sings about what he thinks God is going to do next. He sings a song about this newborn, this eight-day-old baby in his arms, about how John will go before the people to prepare a way for one who is coming named Jesus. And he sings about Jesus who will guide us and give light to the people who sit in darkness and show mercy and heal the people. Zechariah sings a song about service, about how his son John will step up and serve and make the way for Jesus, and then he will step back and make way for Jesus to come and serve the poor and the oppressed. Something happened to Zechariah. Instead of just doing his duty in the temple, I mean, that's what he was doing when he was struck mute. Now he finds a song that he just has to sing. Something has broken loose inside of him, and he tells us that life is going to be different now because of all that God has done. Zechariah has now been set free to serve without fear. What does that mean, to serve without fear? Are we afraid of serving? Sometimes the problem just seems that I'm afraid I don't have enough time in my schedule to work in service. Sometimes our agendas are just so full of serious responsibilities that we can't imagine adding one more thing to do, though we would like to serve. For example, a few weeks ago, Catherine Stark-Corn, who works with our missions ministry, 
invited me to go down to Restart Homeless Shelter and to participate in a game night for the families who live in the homeless shelter. I was excited I was going to bring some others along, but just the day before we were to go, we got an email from the shelter saying that some things had shifted in the needs of the families at the shelter, and really it would be best if I didn't come that night. And there was this part of me that was really disappointed, and there was this other part of me that was really relieved because I had such a busy day and it freed up a whole chunk of time. Sometimes we fear to serve because, honestly, it can seem like drudgery. I mean, you're in a small group, and you love the small group, but somebody in the small group signs up to make taco salad for 150 people that our congregation serves each month to those who are homeless. And you realize that buying and cooking food for 150 people is a lot of work, and it takes a lot of energy to cook it and haul it. And at the end of the cooking and the hauling, you are so exhausted, sometimes you just feel like you need to drive through Taco Bell on the way home so you can get something to eat. Or your small group has volunteered to rake leaves for elderly folks, and you think, you know, I'm really not that good at raking leaves, and my back's been hurting, and the leaves at our house haven't been raked. Or someone like Tyler invites you to go to Ecuador, and you think, I'd like Ecuador, but I don't know about this mission trip part. I mean, what if the hotel doesn't have running water or hot water or the food is inedible? Because serving, well, it isn't always that glamorous. But perhaps the biggest reason we fear to serve is because we fear we might lose something of who we are in the process. If I go down to the homeless shelter, what if I get too involved? And what if I end up giving away too much of myself? Or what if I'm inclined to do some pro bono work in my accounting practice or in my medical practice or in my law practice? But if I do too much of that, I mean, my paycheck might become rather anemic. Or what if I really like to tutor at-risk youth, but... Oh, it can tug at your heartstrings and make you so uncomfortable to get involved in some of those situations. Sometimes serving seems like one of those things we ought to do. It seems like a duty rather than a joy. We are taught, aren't we, by our culture as educated people that we should be leaders, that we should seek power, that we should accomplish great things. But Miroslav Volf, the theologian, reminds us that the definition of power revealed by Jesus in the scripture and in his life is so much different than the way the world defines the word power. Jesus reveals power that looks like service. Especially during this month of December when there's so much to do, so much extra stuff to do. There's the baking to do and the presents to buy and wrap and musical events to attend and parties to host. How in the midst of all of this stuff, especially stuff that we missed out on last year, how in the midst of all of it do we make room for the holy? We know we know that serving is what Jesus was all about, the reason he came. We know that we must do as he said, 
lose our lives to gain them, and yet there is a still this part of us that is reluctant to give ourselves away in love. Last summer, I attended a funeral for a man named Jim. Jim was, I don't know, in his late 80s, I'd say. A man about my age got up to speak at the funeral. He said that when he was a teenager, his church had this fundraiser auction, and there were two pianos up for auction, and he bid on each one of those pianos, but he was outbid both times. After the auction was over, this man named Jim came to him. He said, do you play the piano? And he told Jim, well, no, but I I want to. I've been saving up. And so Jim led him down the hallway of the church and into an empty classroom. And they walked over, and Jim set his hand on this piano, and he said, how much did you bid for those pianos? And he was kind of embarrassed to say, well... I bid 80 bucks. And Jim said, would you give 80 for this piano? Because if so, I think the lady that donated it to the church would be pleased. And that day at the funeral, the man said, I have had that piano in every home I have ever lived in. And just the other day, I walked into our home, and my teenage daughter was playing that piano. And I thought about Jim and his acts of service and kindness that like ripples of water are still spreading out throughout our lives and throughout all creation. Now, I don't know. Maybe that doesn't sound like service to you. Maybe we have in our minds defined service as that which missionaries do when they work with the poorest of the poor in Africa. But what struck me that day about that story is that Jim served with deep and abiding joy. And 40 years later, this young man, now a father himself, could remember how delighted Jim was to serve him when all he had was 80 bucks and the wish to play the piano. What would enable us to serve like that with delight and joy, to serve without fear? Oh, we know. We know how to serve when it's an obligation, a duty, even drudgery. But service that is free and uninhibited is a testimony to the living God having moved in and taken up residence among the people who have limited time and resources. God has saved us. Now what? My friend Kathy vividly remembers the Christmas of 1993. She was in college. She was home for winter break when her mom received a telephone call from a friend at a nearby church, not their church, another church. And the friend said, our church has adopted this family for Christmas. It's a dad and five kids between the ages of 7 and 12, and we're taking them out to Christmas dinner, but it's kind of expensive, and we wondered if your church could help. And so Kathy decided with her family she would go along with her mom and dad and the two siblings, and they would take this family out to dinner. And they had a nice time visiting with this dad from Honduras who had come here seeking political asylum. And, and they did able, were able to communicate with the kids some. And they paid for half the dinner, and they drove home that night. 
and they all talked in the Nichols household about how grateful they were that they were not refugees, that they had a home to go to. Well, a couple of days after Christmas, the same lady called the house again, and she said, well, we have a problem. She said, you know that family we took out to dinner? Well, we just discovered that the five kids are living in the car, and their dad is in jail. Seems that the older kids called in a violation on their father for domestic abuse. Could you take some of the kids just until we could sort this thing out? Could you take two of them, maybe? Well, Kathy's mom was a professor, and she was on break for the semester, and her dad was a physician and a legislator, and, and he was on break, too. And so they thought, well, they could help out for a few weeks if they could only just take two kids, because they already had three kids. And so they took in two kids. And to make a long story short, Kathy's family ended up adopting permanently all five kids. I asked Kathy, did you ever regret it? Did you ever wish your parents hadn't done that? And she said, oh, no, I love my five sisters. And she said, you know, just recently we had Thanksgiving and there were 30 of us and their kids are such great cousins for my kids. She said, we have become a family. Well, I said, that, that was a big thing that your family did, and, and I, don't, I don't really know how people serve with that kind of radical hospitality. How do you think your parents were able to do that? And she said three things. One is, my parents had a deep faith. They always believed that God was walking alongside them somehow. And second is, the people in our church they stepped up. They made it possible. They welcomed these kids into not just our family, but into the family of faith. And there was a couple in the church, and they came over together every Monday night without us asking them and played games with those kids. And thirdly, she said, it was not a bed of roses. There were big problems along the way. And I said, but Kathy, everybody can't serve with this kind of radical act of service. And she said, yeah, you're right, they can't. But everybody can do something. What I hear in Kathy's story is that they didn't wake up during the month of Advent and go, hmm, how can we serve? No, it came upon them, and they simply couldn't help themselves. They had to sing. And during this month of Advent, we could sing or we can remain mute.